Welcome to Revolution and Equal Radio, the podcast to the left, from the Lumpen, and from the Lumpen to the left. On this episode, I was lucky enough to have on a guest, a philosopher, a Marxist theoretician, and a producer of YouTube videos. We're going to be diving into Cultural Hegemony by Antonio Gramsci in this episode, and we go off topic at a few points. And have a general chat and I think it's really interesting I hope it's really interesting to you you know if you like what we do here at Revolutionary Open Radio please subscribe as a patron so with that I'd like to shout out to Jake a patron subscriber and with that said we're going to get into the episode with the misanthropic philosopher on cultural hegemony I'd just like to start the show off with an introduction of yourself a brief Oh, long summer already of who you are, a little of the background, to give the listeners an idea of just who we're talking to here. I know I know you um, through mm-hmm. our history, you know, your work on YouTube, but you're pretty much a stranger to our listeners. If you just give us an introduction, I think that would be great for them. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So my real name's Ryan, but I go by, you know, the misanthropic philosopher on um, YouTube. That's my YouTube channel. Um, I'm not really anyone special, to be honest. I'm just, you know, a random dude with a internet connection and some uh, thoughts about how the world should be, I guess. Awesome. Yeah, I think you're too <laughs> modest. I also think everybody's extremely special. We're all special in our own ways. And I'd like to show that today on today's podcast and just show really what your speciality is, which... I think is your creative, you know, your ability to produce YouTube videos that goes into Marxist theory as well as philosophy. And I'd love to just broadcast that out and just share your speciality, which is quite unique. So I've just got a few questions that I think is best to start off with on this whole subject that we're going to be tackling together on just who Antonio Gramsci is. Yeah, so um, Antonio Gramsci was, you know, just a a normal guy born in um, Italy who actually ended up being very important to the uh, communist movement as a whole and actually ended up being the leader of the Italian Communist Party from 1921 to 1924, where he um, ended up being imprisoned when um, fascist leader Benito Mussolini took power. And um, yeah, his importance was even stated by uh, Mussolini's prosecutor who said, you know, for 20 years, we must stop this brain from functioning simply because they knew how powerful he was, how influential he was. You know, they knew the power of his writings and um, they simply had to, you know, shut him down. He was a political prisoner. You know, he didn't commit a crime or anything. Um, He was simply imprisoned because of the power he held. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that summed up pretty much what it was. Um, they just knew his mind held too much power to sway the masses, to just really cut through the fascist bullshit that people were being fed at the time. I'd just like to go into, you know, a little bit about the creation of the Communist Party that you mentioned in Italy, mm-hmm. which was Armandio uh, Bordega and Antonio Gramsci. They actually split from the current Italian Socialist Party at the time. And this was, of course, outlawed during Mussolini's fascist regime. Of course, because at the time it would be very much similar to being a communist in Hitler's Germany, which would be pure suicide because it's well known that Hitler and the Nazi Party first took to killing off socialists before Jews. Uh, and that is, you know, as you mentioned, because of the revolutionary nature of communism, the direct mm-hmm. opposite of fascism. Yeah. So, so this witch hunting of communists is essentially what happened to Gramsci in the form of political imprisonment in 1937 for life. You know, I've got to laugh at because it is absurd that all of this genuinely happened. I'd just like to add on a bit more historical context to show the impact of the comrades organising there. It's worth noting that a response to the growing fascist party played a major role in the Italian resistance movement of World War Two. Mm-hmm. It also changed its name from 1943 to the PCI, the Italian Communist Party, and became the second largest political party of Italy after World War Two, and that attracted the support of about a third of the vote during the 1970s, which is actually pretty substantial, a third of the vote being purely yeah. communist. 
so at the time it was the largest communist party in the West with a peak support reaching 2.3 million members in 1947 and a peak share being 34.4% of the vote in 1976 which is quite an unreal legacy for those two great thinkers and agitators to leave behind which i think is only possible with the bravery of the people the collective masses inspired by the political theories gramsci had produced as a marxist Mm -hmm. which i think is ironically may not have happened were he not forced to do nothing other than write while in prison but alternatively, you could look at his legacy and wonder just how much more he could have accomplished to tackle fascism were he a free man. So, with that being said, could you just go into the theoretical works he produced while imprisoned for, for life, uh, which I think, even to this day, his works are an essential contribution to Marxist theory that any would-be Marxist, communist or revolutionary of any sort needs to grasp in order to recognise in a very political manner or a very practical manner what I guess could be described as an easy way to understand the nature of the base and the superstructure that Marx lays out for us in the form of cultural hegemony. Yeah, so um, Gramsci cared very much about the the superstructure from the base superstructure idea, and he tried to answer that well-known question of, you know, like, why the largest class doesn't simply eat the smaller class at the top, right, the elite class, and uh, this is very much a question he was interested in and actually tried to solve, um, because it seemed like in those times, the conditions for a revolution were being met, right? Like there was a fascist revolution happening in that country. So why was it not a left-wing one? And um, he tried to answer that question by looking at culture and just generally the center of powers in society. And the work he did on that in prison, um, in the prison notebooks, spans a wide array of topics covering, you know, everything from history, to the problems of within Marxism itself, you know, philosophical problems, political conditions inside Italy at the time of his writing. Um, the prison notebooks, you know, there's over 3,000 pages or something. It, it really spans a, a whole, um, uh, just so many topics that would, you know, hours and hours of writings um, on those books alone. Mm, like over 3,000 pages just on those topics alone, absolutely monumental and this is somebody who of course in prison could have just simply sat back and just been you know completely defeated mentally defeated uh, had just sat there depressed thinking it's over and of course he never done that he was a revolutionary he was a great thinker and of course he had a lot of love in his heart to leave these writings and thinkings behind because of course he was he was pretty much mentioning the theory behind how we are all governed and ruled by fascism, capitalists, liberal ideology, you know, these these rulers who really who were really just an extension of feudalism. So why I do this as well is to just really show what Gramsci and other political prisoners like him, Rosa Luxemburg was another one who took to writing while while imprisoned, and it's really something we should all be inspired to do, that even when the evil forces of capitalism, the state, comes down on each and every one of us and imprisons us for political beliefs, we absolutely have to take up the task of still managing to educate and be behind you know the masses and describe the forces that keep us all i mean i don't think we're exaggerating here but keep us all as as slaves to the ruling class the bourgeoisie masters so definitely so great thank you very much for that it is very similar but a lot more descriptive and practical i think to what marx has laid out in the base and superstructure theory mm-hmm. so i know you went went into that in your cultural hegemony video would you mind going over it for us and describing just how cultural hegemony is a contribution to the theory yeah sure absolutely so the question i talked about earlier right the question of like why the smallest class does uh, why the largest class doesn't simply you know eat and overthrow the largest class right and cultural hegemony was gramsci's answer to that question um he concluded this because Because the bourgeois hold all of the power centers, right, all the media, all of the social institutions, everything that exists within that superstructure of the base superstructure theory, right, so that includes art, politics, morality, everything, right, so everything that the elite use, um, all of those institutions to their advantage and to prevent people 
people from getting any idea about overthrowing them. So the media is actually the easiest example of this because with all the news, uh, all the news stations, all the newspapers and everything are actually owned by billionaires. So does anyone actually expect them to uh, represent anyone other than their own agenda, right? Like they're never going to be, you know, revolutionary institutions when you're owned by billionaires. Mm. Uh, and it's pretty obvious, you know, the bourgeois in these capitalist countries have complete hegemony over the cultural forces in a society. And that is what cultural hegemony is. I mean, absolutely. It it seems like common sense. You know, this is the power of the cultural hegemony. It makes it makes us think we live on a fair, democratic, a very liberal. Uh, we've got a lot of freedoms. It makes us think that these structures in place are for our benefit. It, that the news brings us the truth, for example. That the school yeah. is there to help us all be educated and become billionaires, and all these mm-hmm. these things. That the church is there to to really give us morality, right yeah. and wrong. Because, of course, if we go back in time, you know, the Ten Commandments were absolutely essential for everybody to follow. And, and, and you know, this is really the power of ideology. And this is why Marxism a- aims to break it down. Because all of these structures in place, these hegemonies, aren't for our benefit. They're literally only for the benefit for a small section of, you know, class society. And that is the ruling class, the bourgeoisie. All of those, you know, evil people who we absolutely should eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's great that Gramsci put that into a lot easier terms than I think even Marx did and a lot more relevant and that's something you're doing, I'm doing any any Marxists who really translate this theory into practical material analysis of, of our current you know, place in time mm-hmm. that, that's really something we absolutely have to do and um, how, how all of these things are directly a contribution to Marxist theory because it's something we have to take with us uh, we have to keep learning, taking it with us and passing it on to other generations so they can really again see these forces of play, how they operate so that it really nullifies the effects of us and how it's used to control us because if we can see the truth you know of course we can we, we can stay away from the lies and the media and CNN or Fox or even BBC News are there to provide us the truth when we know full well it's not. It's to serve an agenda, a liberal agenda, a capitalist agenda, and mm-hmm. keep us, you know, arguing amongst ourselves in many ways. Yeah. So, <laughs> moving on, I think any, and this is like, I've got to go into it with my own experience here, because I think anybody who's given society any significant thought or rebelled in any way, such as not going to school, as I did in my younger years, through much of my education. Well, you can really feel how the state comes down on you and it uses its forces to intimidate or to force you to conform in a way that benefits the state. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't until later in life that it made sense why the state felt threatened to take me away from my family, put me in social care as an orphan, essentially. It put me under medical supervision, telling me I'm depressed at the age of 11, feeding me medicines to make me docile and just really mm-hmm. bend me into however they want me to be. Um, and sure. As well as threatened multiple times to imprison my mum for not being able to keep me in school and threatened her with insane fines that she as a single you know not even working class but on benefits the state wanted to put me into social care uh, threatened me with being an orphan because I wasn't going to school to be fed all this bullshit and lies and all this religion um, (laughs) that, that I really saw already back then that it just well, like it, it wasn't utilizing me to my potential. It wasn't interesting. It was literally just authoritarian in every sense. So, yeah. you know, I noticed even then that it was very much to condition me to what the ruling class wants me to be or wants us to be, which is submissive, docile people, so we can grow up and be pretty much the exact same for bourgeois employers and the ruling class's state system more broadly, and, and even to to be soldiers like me, me dad was. So to speak more specifically and not personally, I think if we consider every single one of us, if we consider all of us, instead of growing up in our nation's schools, being influenced by religion, such as singing hymns in schools to bend our morality against those of other religious beliefs and ideas, as well as 
have the courts imposing our countries or ruling classes laws that limit our behaviour to lock us up as prison slaves. And again, we mention the media and its role in telling us how we should behave socially from TV soaps like EastEnders. That's you know apparently tells us how people in London live or maybe mm-hmm. how they should live and behave yeah. or Geordie Shaw and the modern Love Island that influences so many people to be these individuals who you know revolve around Instagram reputation individualism and petty behavior that's far from the necessary caring of others regardless of how we look that socialism promotes but capitalism stamps out through the promotion and suggestion of our popularity through these base structures like social media, as well as the news which propagates and justifies fear of so-called terrorists and immigrants, you know, state racism. Then, of course, these ruling class-owned institutions uh, that are essentially for the opposite of class solidarity. Mm -hmm. So I think all of these superstructures can, in fact, be described as social or cultural hegemony, which Gramsci's point here is. And if you, and as you put it, uh, the group that controls these institutions control the rest of society. And yeah. I think anybody doubting this as a serious reality, just consider if you were born in Nigeria, if you were born in Haiti, if you were born in China or anywhere else, would you speak the same language that you do now? Would you have the same religious beliefs? Would you be as insecure with your image and have the same sense of fashion or hold the same interests and morals that you do now? I mean, I think, and and I think you know, obviously not. So this is really the power of Marxism and the power of an ideology that opposes and breaks away from the liberal one, the liberal cultural hegemony imposed on us so we can recognize the way our civilization works in an effort to break away from the behaviors imposed and forced upon us for the profit of a few people at the expense of potentially all the life on earth through global warming crime caused by the desperation that this hegemony leaves us in through poverty the wage slavery we forced into or the mental health trauma and suicide directly linked to capitalism which enforces this hegemony even further. So, you know, it's really fucked up. It's not beyond our comprehension, nor our ability to fucking smash it through this study of Marxism, then direct action. So there was a lot there, (laughs) but I had to really get some of this off my chest because this is really, like, important subject matter and it's something we should all give great thought to and it's something I've just had to express my great thoughts of is there anything you want to add on to that or is that a fair statement ryan yeah it's definitely a fair statement i mean i can add a couple of things right so like when you were talking about you know um would you be the same person if you were born somewhere else you know would you have the same religious belief etc etc so obviously the answer is no and um this is built on you know materialism which is actually at the core of marxism so that's the belief that like your material conditions and everything around you physically actually contributes and um shapes what you think and how you what you believe and what you think etc so it's this idea that actually your 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 social standing your social condition shapes your consciousness not the other way around so people tend to think that like oh if i just think better if i just like think that i'm you know a a really awesome great person and that i work really hard i'll become rich but that's a complete inversion of how the world actually works right because people's Mm -hmm. consciousness are shaped by the class they were born into in the conditions they're raised in um and that's materialism which is like right at the base of um you know uh, marxism generally and uh, when you talk about you know sort of um uh sort of reality tv shows right like geordie shore and everything mm. so these serve multiple purposes within society so the first and obvious one is like a distraction right so it's like bread and circuses in the in the roman times which is just you know give the people bread and circuses and we can do whatever we want politically behind the scenes while rome burns just throw them bread and show them circuses and they'll be all right which is what they it's literally what they did right so that's obviously the first um purpose these serve but the other one is actually like a like a shaping of behavior and a shaping of of an understanding of the way the world works or the the way the world should be so you can actually there's other theorists that i've done videos on that cover those um topics specifically there's theodore adorno and his idea of the culture industry it's actually the idea that you know capitalism um 
produces culture as an industry and you can very clearly see this you know like hollywood and the music studios and everything they actually produce culture it's a it's an industry to them right Mm. and that actually shapes the way um that we see the world and the world sees us and how capitalism um just affects you know every uh every element of our life essentially yeah thank you very much for that contribution uh, that right. was extremely on point theodore adoro was it adorno yeah theodore adorno so i haven't actually read them i've seen the video you've produced on it and it was absolutely yeah. excellent and really you've just inspired me to, to read his works i don't know why i haven't but it is very much relevant to this except it mm-hmm. very specifically talks about you know as you mentioned how capitalism and the media promotes culture mm-hmm. So yeah, people should go away and listen to that too, and as well as watch your video on that. I think I'm going to mention that again briefly in the future because again it is very much tied to these works and also shows the significance of Gramsci's works and how it's still relevant to this day. Yeah. So, I mean, we talk about all this and it is absolutely immoral at all. So it's like we're living in, in a hell. But um, how mm-hmm. is this? How is all of this even justified? Because to be honest, I think without knowing Marxism or Gramsci's works, I think a lot of people feel this already. But mm-hmm. they may not have the words to articulate it. And, you know, I know I, know I never before studying Marxist theory, even though I might have felt it, I never could actually describe it. And... So, be, so before start studying Marxist theory and your Gramsci video, which it made it a lot easier for me, and it's really the purpose and the importance of studying the works and the actions of the proletariat through history. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I could talk about the justification, right? So it seems kind of like a cruel one or maybe like a cold one, but essentially it's justified because they hold the power centers, right? Mm. And... Um, society is very much a might makes right kind of thing right so if you if you are you know the most if 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 there's a fight of any kind right and you're most you're the most ruthless then you win right you get to control society Mm. i mean it's not a perfect analogy here right but in a fist fight they are mostly like this right it's the most it's the most ruthless person, you know, who's willing to use more violence that often wins. Not always the case if you're trained, you know, if you've got, you know, a black belt or whatever, you don't have to be the most ruthless. You're just, you know, more trained. But it is often whoever is more brazen, more bold that wins and gets to brag about it, right? And politics is that fight, um, except the stakes and the prizes are much higher. You know, whoever wins the fight of politics gets to shape and control the whole of society. Um, but when you talk about it, you know, being obvious and you know it without knowing it, um, yeah, I definitely agree. It is it is obvious to some degree. I mean, Lenin taught Marxism to peasants. They they couldn't read, they couldn't write, but he would, you know, give speeches to them about Marxism and society and everything. So yeah, it's it's not an intelligence thing, you know. Um, some people, it's not that some people are just too dumb to understand it. I mean, that's complete nonsense, right? It can be taught to anyone. Uh, it is intuitive to some degree, and it's not like an intelligence thing. Awesome. Yeah, thank you again for that reply. That was that was very astute. Uh, just just to comment on, on that, uh, you mentioned yeah. whoever wins the first fight, you know, gets their way. And mm-hmm. yes, so that's true. But certainly, they're not fist fighting us to uh, to make us behave in manners they want. It, it's very much evolved because as populations grew, I think the same forces who would fist fighters or, you know, whip us into their way of thinking or how they want us to act, they use this technology, they use mm-hmm. the mass media, they, they use all of this and, yeah. and it's in their power of storytelling, which is my next episode in the podcast. It talks about how story, I mean, we think of Bob singing their songs, talking about how great the king is, how mm-hmm. the gods have produced the king. And this is really, again, this is really an extension of these barbs singing, telling the peasants just how righteous and how justified the powers that these kings and lords have in this world. Yeah. And, you know, all of this is really the dialectical approach of that from the people's point of view. So, yeah, you just really brought that out once again. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. So, and I have to completely agree with this. So, you know, we know this, we say this, but beyond making a few people rich, what exactly is the problem with the structure of this and just how the fuck is it even possible? 
Yeah, so the, the problem that we have ultimately, at the, because the core of the system is a capitalist system, right? And that, that is the problem. And the issue here is that when you have a capitalist society, the, the a, capitalist societies exist for the protection and the acclamation and of private property, right? And then everything else follows from that. So this is the kind of society you get when private property is at the center. So you get you get minor variations, of course, from country to country, right? We always talk about how like, you know, socialism in any country will be socialism with X country's characteristics, right? Um, because it arises out of the material conditions of each society and each society is unique. So there will always be variations. And the same is actually true of capitalism, right? So people, social democrats love to talk about Scandinavia, right? And how it's, you know, um, has a much more general social program, it's much more generous welfare and everything. And that is capitalism, but with Scandinavian properties, right? With Danish or Finnish characteristics. And America is also capitalist, but it is, of course, much less um, kind in that regard. And that's essentially how you end up in the situation you have. I mean, you have a society that centers private property, and then you have a state that exists for the protection of private property, a police force that protects private property, and then you get a legal system that forms to protect private property, right? There's that saying, I don't know how true it is, but like nine-tenths of the law is about possession, right? It's about who has what, you know? There's yeah. theft laws and all that. It's all about, you know, the rich laws exist to protect the rich essentially that's what it is um they have because if laws pro exist to protect property who has all the property right it's the landowners it's the rich people because they have the money to buy stuff so those laws exist to protect those people yeah i mean that was genuinely excellently put um so much better than i think i could have done it yeah <laughs> so just just to comment on that, you know, you mentioned Scandinavian countries and how they're, I mean, people like to think of them as socialist and it is extremely important that we bring out of this that they're in no way socialist. You might have, you know, policies that aren't as vicious and as exploitative as countries like the UK and the US, but just because the systems in place that aren't as evil doesn't mean that they're nowhere near socialist and this is again ideological i mean i mean you mentioned this so i'm not going to go into it like i said you you put it better than i do no it's, a, it's definitely an important point to touch upon though right because most people misunderstand that and i actually think it's the fault of um social democrats in america right you get like the bernie sanders wing who always refers to him as a socialist but he's literally just a social democrat right and social democrats are just the left wing of capitalism essentially all they want is just you know slightly friendlier social programs you know slightly higher taxes on rich people but they're not fundamentally going to change the core um relation to the means of production right yeah, th thank you very much for for mentioning that. It is extremely important, and, and it could be a topic all within itself. I think we're straying away from the script here, but but it is extremely important. And I think just to comment on it uh, before moving on, let's just imagine uh, Lenin was alive and he had Twitter. He would one hundred percent be calling Bernie Sanders and and all that you know support him, revisionists, opportunists. Yeah. He called them imperialist scoundrels. I mean, he literally would if you. If you've ever read Lennon, you know he doesn't hold back on this shit. He literally, Definitely. he literally says it because it, it is what it is. And I think those people that defend democratic socialists, they're also defending, in every sense of the word, uh, imperialism. And I, don't, and, and I don't believe in this. It makes it easier for people to become socialists. I don't believe that's true in any sense of the word. You've got to be got to be ruthless in your passion for the people, and by mm -hmm. by adding you know a plaster over the damages that capitalism and revisionists and opportunists do, you're very much infecting the wound from underneath the plaster that that you put across, and and it's really it is ultimately parasitic. It's ideological, and it's this ideology that, just to bring us back onto points here, that that serves this cultural hegemony. And I don't think it's any. And I, you know what? I'm gonna just comment one more thing. I don't think it's any. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn are popping up around the same time as you know, are popping up literally as candidates at the same time. Which you know, with the with with the name of socialist, you don't really see that before them, and. It's definitely some kind of bourgeois 
scam that they've planned and also you just just the dialectic approach you've got trump saying make america great again he wants to close the borders and then you've got a pretty much a lookalike of trump boris johnson but slightly more hideous um talking about brexit and which is again a subject about closing borders it's it's two sides of the same coin so yeah definitely you know i mean in my um, in in the video I'm actually working on now, like I actually talk a lot about like Bernie Sanders and the difference and everything, and um, in that video I also stress that like obviously marginally Bernie Sanders is better than Trump. Like obviously if 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 you you had to choose between them, and ultimately there does have to be a guy that sits in the Oval Office, right? Sanders would be better. I mean, it, there are degrees of evil, and Sanders would definitely be better. Mm. I mean, Trump is just going to drive the whole thing completely off the rails, right? Mm. Now, Sanders won't make, you know, key, um, really key root changes that actual socialists would like, of course, but he would do things that would materially improve the lives of people in the short run. Like I said, like he would um, cut back on military spending, which, you know, trans, which... Um, oh my god what is the word which actually trickles down into the killing of less people abroad right so that is a that is a material improvement or when you talk about you know um uh food stamps and things that he would loosen that up he would um, increase those right and that is a material increase in people's lives in the short term it's not that you know trump and sanders are the same or anything it's just that neither of them are actually getting to the root cause of the problem in the system but yes if you had to choose between the two it would obviously be sanders yeah absolutely and i think that's something all marxist all true socialists should bring with them is you know we we can recognize that it's completely the better option but it doesn't mean going out and literally campaigning knocking on doors or voicing support further than the message that you've just brought on that he's just a reduction in damage to the world the population and the mental health of a lot of people but again i think we're, you know we're staying away from here and you know people should absolutely go and follow your youtube channel the misanthropic philosopher which i'm going to leave notes to at the end of this podcast so that people can definitely go on and follow this discussion up i'm sure in the video you're producing now on bernie sanders so mm-hmm. Let's get back on onto um, what's being an, an already very much enjoyable podcast for me and I hope illuminating for, for other people. I'm going to just throw you a dead-loaded question <laughs> and and just ask you the question that Lennon's asked, um, that you've asked, and I'm going to repeat because I can't think of nowhere sure. else to go from here talking about the mess that the world is. But what is to be done? Yeah, so I mean, that's a huge question, right? And I'm not even sure, um, you know, some random guy like me has like, complete, solid answers, honestly. But if I had to give an answer, I'd have to say that the people uh, just have to have a much larger power base than they currently do. So until we manage to actually get union memberships up by a lot, which I think would be the starting point. um, But Unless you do that, I actually don't think you can really do anything else. Because if you don't do that, then all you're left with is electoralism, right? Like, all you're left with is the idea that you can just cast a ballot, go home, and things will be sorted. And we know that electoralism is not the answer to any of these solu- uh, any of these problems. So the only way is to build an actual um, worker-led power base outside of electoralism. And the only real avenues to do that within this society are union membership which is of course why right-wing governments crack down on unions right because that is a power base outside of just casting a ballot that they don't want um and obviously there isn't going to be armed struggle right there isn't going to be any like protracted people's war in the uk but there does need to be a huge um uh, power base and i don't think that Anyone thinks that the actual first world proletariat is going to launch armed revolution against the government, right? So it's, it, it just isn't going to happen. Um, not only are uh, uh, guns illegal and everything, but we currently live in a situation of surveillance capitalism where everything you do and say on the internet is logged and monitored and surveilled, right? So the idea that you can even do that in a first world country, I don't think is 
possible. Um, and that's actually an issue that Marxism generally has to deal with is like the technological advancements um, because there are tons of different tendencies with tons of different ideas on what to do, but none of them really look at the fact that technology now, even from you know Stalin's time, is it, it, it's it, it's insane. So there's just a, a huge difference there that is not been um, grappled with. Parent, uh, to be honest, I don't think. Um, but all the different tendencies within Marxism have loads of different ideas, and I don't think any of us really have enough people to be able to do anything substantial so it's not exactly a real hopeful situation but i do think um that on a lighter note i guess which is probably the best way to end right i think the the climate emergency puts a, a hard stop on capitalism so either that or the planet right so with every other problem that capitalism has faced capitalism has been able to either avoid it go around it put a band-aid over it plaster it or you know deal with it in some other way but Climate change is a, a fundamentally different issue than all of those other issues, and capitalism absolutely has no way of dealing with climate change, right? Because it's a it's it's a cross border, it's international, um, and it fundamentally is going to have to reshape the way that we relate to the Earth generally. And I actually do think it's going to come down to being the end of capitalism or the planet, and I think that's a that's an open question, and I have absolutely. Um, no idea how that will play out, honestly. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. I love your analysis. I agree with uh, a vast majority of it. It was towards the end. I'm just going to go over my disagreements there, but it, sh it should oh. be noted that everything I don't disagree with here, I 100% agree with, and I think other people should go away with that. But you mentioned not having an armed revolution in you know uh -huh. developed nations, so, so to speak. Um, you mentioned state surveillance. So just to go into that, this is why I'm doing this podcast, because of the revolutionary capability of the lumpen proletariat. These are people who are going to end up in jail one way or another. There's no way about it. They live to oppose the law, in a sense. They live separate to the capitalist economy by means of crime. These Again, these are people who are going to end up in jail one way or another. And I think, you know, revolution is a term used that's the forcible overthrow of one class. And, it's, you know, as Mao said, it isn't going to be a dinner party. And I think no. absolutely you should work with unions and you should spread class conscious everywhere you go. But So I think to talk about Marxism and revolution without violence, violent struggle of one class opposing another well it's i can't you say you can't see it but i can't i can't see it without the violence so sure you know so you talk about you know in developed countries and it's because of you know state surveillance and whatnot but i mean i, I don't think you, I, I don't know whether you've seen or you know just how connected the lumpen are within the community they talk to each other in Definitely. person they don't go on discord they don't go on reddit they don't talk over twitter like mm -hmm. other proletarians they literally know each other face to face and, and that that's how they do it so it's not something state can surveil and at the same time they can't arrest everybody they can't they can't arrest you know the lumpen proletariat because uh, again this this whole class system exists to propagate homeless people it propagates the unemployed and with that you're going to propagate the lumpen proletariat there's, there's just no way to eliminate the lumpen and those who live off crime without eliminating class structure you know sure. there's got to be permanent unemployment so that people can be sucked up by by mcdonald's and work for minimum wages there has to be this sense of desperation and Definitely. at the same time the lumpen you know all these criminals all these high up gangsters who do have their own hegemony in society in many ways through crime culture that's just gone back hundreds of years well they've also got access to firearms you look at the ira you know all these are, are people who can get firearms under the nose of the british mm -hmm. empire and it's something sure. that the people can still get a hold of today they can still get firearms they can still mm -hmm. oppose with force the state so yeah you talk about you know um state surveillance it could very well be listened to right now but again you can imprison me but you can never imprison a revolution you could kill me but you're never going to kill a revolution and these words Gramsci's words your words all of these words of revolutionaries you know will be heard because we're fucking sick of it and as you mentioned global warming 
the world's mm-hmm. going to get harder. It's going to be harder to survive. It's going to be harder to, to thrive. It's going to be harder to actually mentally. It's going to be harder to just put up with this shit because we are going to be attacked by the climate. It's going to be vicious. It's not just going to be hegemony making it hard for us. It's going to be the forces of nature. And I've heard this theory that as global warming takes over, as floods hit areas, as natural disasters hit areas, and capitalism and the state is forced to move out of these areas, then that's very much creates the conditions for you know Marxists and communism to, to really take a hold in these areas once the state's pulled out. And as you touched upon, it really creates better conditions for you know communism to take place. But I don't want to wait until this floods. I don't want to be. I don't want to wait until the state is forced to pull out the territories so that we can take over it and govern it how we want. I think that's goddamn too late. And mm-hmm. I want. As I said, I want the lump and the workers, the peasants to all come together and fight for what we need in a glorious revolution. So, you know, thank you very much for that perspective. It, it is absolutely something that, that needs to be talked about. I don't know whether anybody's going to agree with me. I'd love to hear whether people agree with you more or whether, you know, my, my takes are a bit too hot or, or a bit too cursed no, I mean, in, in many ways. So. You know, I'm sure that's something me and you can discuss further, but it's also something I'd love to see feedback from the listeners. And yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's not it's not a, an unpopular opinion, right? Like there are tons of tendencies um, within Marxism that look at you know protracted people's war, which is literally what it's called. That's within Maoism, and that's literally taking up armed revolution against the state. And um, you know, that's very popular within Maoism, and uh, they think that that's how you know things will happen because Mao has that famous quote, right? About political power coming from the um, barrel of a gun. Yeah. And um, it's not, it's not wrong. Um, I just think you're going to need, it's like the, the level of um, resources required, the level of engagement, the level of community, you know what I mean? Like we can't even get um, enough people together to get union memberships up. So the idea that like, you're going to get enough people together to, pick up guns and fight the government um it just seems a little out of the question regardless of whether it needs to happen or not right but even if you did even if you even if you managed to to do that and everything um i think you still are going to need a a party political infrastructure and this is what lenin talks about right like the vanguard party like you can have and that's why lenin disagreed with like anarchist violence at the time because it wasn't focused into a party so even if you have, because what at the time they were doing what was called propaganda of the deed, which was essentially they were just like uh, blowing up newspapers and things. And um, they found that actually all that does is it brings the violence of the state down on people and you you don't have an effective way to make change that way. There's no party infrastructure behind you. So you can say that you need both, I guess. Um, you can say that you need like a, because even... Even when talking about the IRA, right, they have uh, this, is it Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin, right, which is essentially their their version of the political party, right? So they have, you know, the violence and everything, but they also have a political party So I, uh, to actually represent them in electoralism. So I think you're probably going to need both. Yeah, um, I'll... That's something I can 100% agree with. Um, we do need the vanguard party. All power to the people. We need organising. Uh, we need people in unions spreading class consciousness. We need people in unions sticking up for the worker and from there and the class consciousness given to them, then we can unite people through various unions and really cut through the politics that some unions promote uh, working with and in many cases for political parties such as Labour. I know the union I'm involved with and do doing absolutely everything I can to be more a part part of, but they're not making it easy because I can't speak to somebody directly. I've got to go through emails and all this this, this shit, um, and, you know, it should be a lot easier than that. So, yeah, there are massive inhibitors, and the inhibitors are generally the people themselves in in many cases. Yeah. But this, you know, very much goes on to Antonio Gramsci and cultural hegemony to go back on the topic. These are things that they are the inhibitors of this, this hegemony and, and this is why we're doing this and um, this is why we're, we're talking about it and really mentioning, you know, why it's so hard to, to organise. Um, so that, that's great to uh, just, just leave it there on that subject. Definitely. I love your analysis. I love how you make these theories that were taken from Marx. 
they made a lot easier by Gramsci and then and, and then you and your video, especially to me. Um, I hope listeners have found this essential basis of understanding for just how capitalist liberal ideology in, exists and is propagated in order to demystify the liberal ideology and show us just how the ruling class are able to keep hold of the power so that hopefully we can use that knowledge to propose it and I just can't thank you enough for illuminating that to me and now the listeners so again I can't agree with you enough that everybody who recognises this cultural hegemony should counter in every form that exists that includes the internet, social media, and all these platforms are, are certainly way to, you know, ways to do it. So I'd just like to say to the listeners now that you have an outstanding YouTube ca- channel and you tackle all kinds of problems, issues, um, as, as well as going to philosophy day, especially in your earlier works, which is extreme. I mean, I found very fascinating. What was it? The one night that just really captivated me. So social on suicide. What what was that? Oh, oh, Emil Durkheim, Social Facts, yeah. Uh, social Facts, uh, yeah, you're speaking pure facts, so that, that was another great video that I just had to mention t- to you, um, how significant it was, and that talks upon, you know, suicide and just how society promotes this suicide, um, going off topic now, but again, Mark Fisher was another man who just promoted, who just published a, an amazing work, Capitalist Realism, and then Rest in Power took his own life. Yeah, all of these things are connected and propagated for, by capitalism because they don't give a shit. So again, sure. just to just to go back on script, I'd love to give a shout out to your society of the spectacle video that goes into just how social media and the internet operates as a form of hegemony. Because you you really give a good analysis there too, and it's generally an excellent video. All of them are extremely informative and. I'm funny too, I'm sure sure people have picked up on your good sense of humour. I think everybody's bound to get a laugh out of all your videos um, while also taking the subject matter very seriously and really being illuminating. So that's why I've been a long time follower of yours for a little under a year now, you know, since since we ever first spoke. I think that this has been great. Thank you so much. It's been so fun and enlightening. It's been you've been my first guest on the podcast, which I'm really grateful for, and I'm very happy to end it there. Unless there's anything you'd like to add on to yourself? Um, I don't think so. Just that the my, my videos actually aren't where I want them to be yet, just quality wise. Like I'm always looking at you know ways to make them better. So uh, they're uh, in my eyes still currently subpar. We'll see. <laughs> You've been saying this for, as I say, nearly a year now, yet your subscribers have just been picking up and up and up and up, and you've been getting loads of feedback, loads of comments. You're getting like, you're getting like major thumbs up on all your videos, and it, <laughs> it's, I'm really pleased to see that. that. That's why I've also supported you at the same time, because I really knew how it would make you know a, a difference to people and, and support and inspire them. So, um, I'm very grateful for you to come on sharing your time and, and your work with me. It was great to finally have a discussion with you. That's all right. Thank you. Um, I'm positive that the listeners have found this engaging and informative. So thank you again, comrade. I really can't thank you enough. That's all right. You're welcome. I'm glad to have done it. It's been, uh, it's been good. It's been enjoyable. So that was... Or shall we call this Gramsci Cultural Hegemony on Revolutionary Lumpen Radio with Shibby and the misanthropic philosopher, you know, my comrade Ryan. If there's anything you'd like to tell the listeners, you know, just, just who you are, where you are can be found, or you can be reached to others who'd like to follow you, then please, please go ahead. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I'm currently only on YouTube. I mean, that's probably a, a, a fault of mine, right? Like I don't have a Facebook or a Twitter or anything because I'm kind of against, you know, social media, generally speaking. So I'm currently on YouTube. Um, I might change that in the future. I might, you know, if I blow up and everything, I might actually have to just get a Twitter and everything just because that's what people do these days, which sucks. But if that's what it is, then that's what it is. So um, I guess I'll throw a link to my YouTube channel in here somewhere. And um, yeah, I think that's all. Oh yeah, absolutely. That'll be in the show notes, and um, I absolutely do th- hope that you blow up. Uh, so, did I like to say on social media? Sure. 
I was absolutely against it. I went off social media years ago. I haven't had a Facebook for about seven, eight years now, maybe even more. I shut down my Insta, and, and I've only recently started the Twitter uh, for this revolutionary lump of radio, so I can completely agree with you on all them fronts. But, I mean, you should definitely hit these social media platforms, maybe not Facebook so much, but I only started on Insta to talk to the lads and, and all people locally around me because while this is good to share over Twitter and to people across the world, uh, Instagram's one thing that, that's local and I want to very much base build in my community. That's why I've done that. But Twitter is will also help show others your work and be able to reach you more directly. So I think you should at least, at the very least, get onto Twitter. But, you know, I'll leave that up to you. So thank you very much. One final, right. one final thank you. Um, I've just got to finally rec- recommend everybody else to follow you on YouTube, subscribe until you're there, and you know, hopefully we'll have a link to your Twitter where people can you know, reach it directly and, you know, make it, make yourself more accessible to the comrades out there who could really benefit from, from you just as much as I did as, as a contributor to Marxist theory. Yeah, absolutely. With that being said, I'm just about ready to wrap this up for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Power to the people. Solidarity to you, my comrade. Solidarity to the listeners. Yes, yes. Thank you for joining us and thanks for everybody else for tuning in tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Peace. Yeah.